the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. On occasion, I have a guest. This is one of those occasions. He's written an important book, Live Not by Lies, a manual for Christian dissidents. And obviously, if you're not Christian, it is equally relevant to you. Rod Dreher, D-R-E-H-E-R, is the well-known author, a major tempted to say religious thinker, but then you think he only writes about religion, but he uses religion as I do to write about everything. And he is a senior editor at the American Conservative. The book, Live Not By Lies. Roger Ayer, welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. Dennis, it's great to be with you. I'm talking to you from the backyard of a house in Budapest, Hungary. Why do you sound better than people talking to me from Glendale, California half the time? <laughs> it's where I'm no, broadcasting it's from. You know, you're perfectly clear. That's great. By the way, I'm very curious about that. I will be speaking in Hungary in August. And uh, by the way, if you're still there, I would love to see you. Uh, but I'm curious, are they allowing... Uh, anybody in COVID-wise, vaccinated, non-vaccinated, and so on? Uh, yeah, you can come in if you can prove you've been vaccinated and if you have a letter of uh, welcome or of invitation from some sponsoring agency. So things are pretty open here, but they're still not open for tourism. Once, once you get here, everything is pretty much opened up. Right. So if you... I'm not vaccinated, so what is the, uh, if I show that I'm negative, is that sufficient? Yeah, you've got to have a PCR test. And, That's fine, uh, okay, I did Hungary that for Hawaii. Was, That's fine. Right, Hungary was the country worst hit in all the European Union, so they're really taking it seriously. They've got a really good government here that's being sensible about opening things up, but they still have to be pretty careful. Are people walking with masks in the streets? Not anymore. That was the case when I arrived here in the middle of May, but that's that's over with now. And you can sit out in restaurants on the terraces and enjoy the evening. And I tell you, it changed everything in this city when we could people could go to restaurants. Yeah, of course. Uh, Hungary. I, I'm really having a great time here. Yeah, no, I've been there many times. I was there under communism, which is very relevant to your book, and we'll get to that in a moment. One final question on that, though. Are they eating inside restaurants? Yes, you can go inside restaurants, but only if you can prove that you've been vaccinated and have a Hungarian card. So I don't have that. I have an American vaccination card, so they keep me on the outside. But so many people prefer to be outside because the weather here Uh is really cool right now. Right, but it it won't be cool in August. <laughs> Unfortunately, they're having such a cool May, summer here. It's uh, I come from South Louisiana, as you might oh, know, and uh, people you, here keep apologizing for how right, cool the no, weather no, no. is, and I tell them, please don't. No, no. If you're from South Louisiana, everything is cool in the summer. That's clear. 
You dedicate your book, I always look at dedications, to Father Tomislav Kolakovic, 1906 to 1990. Who was he? He was a Croatian Jesuit priest who was doing anti-Nazi work in his own city, home city of Zagreb in 1943, when he got a tip-off that the Gestapo was coming for him. So he escaped, went to his mother's homeland, Slovakia, and uh, adopted her last name, Kolakovic. And he began teaching in a Catholic university in Bratislava. He told his students, the good news is the Germans are going to lose this war. The bad news is the Soviets are going to be running this country when it's over. And the first thing they're going to do is persecute the church. So we have to be ready. So what Father Kolakovic did was organize small groups of dedicated young Catholics who would come together to talk about uh, very earnestly what was happening in their society and what they should do about it as faithful Catholics and patriots. And they would also, Dennis, learn things like how to, w- how to withstand an interrogation. Uh, this, his group spread all over the country within two years. The Catholic bishops chastised him. They told him, Father, you're scaring people, you're alarming people, it will never happen here. But he understood the Soviet mindset, so he kept doing his work. Sure enough, when the Iron Curtain fell over Czechoslovakia, the first thing the communists did, they came after the Church. And uh, because Father Kolakovic had prepared people, the Slovak underground Church was one of the strongest in the entire Soviet bloc. So I dedicate the book to Father Kolakovic because I believe that we are in a Kolakovic moment now in the West, and uh, Christians, Jews, everyone of good will who can see, who can read the signs of the times, need to start organizing now for the resistance. So here's a question for you. How many Christians would agree with you? What percentage? Well, I have to say, Dennis, and it depresses me to say it, I think probably only a small number, about 10%, but let me tell you this. This book of mine, uh, Live Not by Lies, where I lay all this out, it has been by far my best-selling book. I've sold about just shy of 120,000 copies with zero press attention from the mainstream media, with the exception of Tucker Carlson. And that tells me that there are a lot of Christians who recognize that something bad is coming, and they want to get ready for it. And believe it or not, I've had people like uh, secular left people like uh, Brett Weinstein, his wife Heather Hying, they're both secular leftists, they read from my book on their radio show because they've been right on the front lines battling wokeness. They recognize it as totalitarianism, as I do, and they say we're, we have to be allies. Barry Weiss, secular, lesbian, Jewish, she said the same thing. She said, if you had told me two years ago that Rod Dreher and I were going to be on the same side of an issue, I wouldn't have believed it, but here we are. I know them both. It's a very important thing you said. I just want my listeners to know they could learn the whole Brett Weinstein story in No Safe Spaces, the uh, the movie made with uh, Adam Carolla and myself. And there's the largest single segment of the movie is the Brett Weinstein story, the professor of biology who would not leave the campus when all whites were told to leave for a day. His life has been had been had been spent on the liberal left. And he was cursed at, and and his life was such danger he could not show up at his campus, lest he be hurt 
or even killed. So he, uh, he's the definition, and I, and I admire the man tremendously. This is not to put him down, but there's an old, dark definition of a conservative, a liberal who was mugged. And uh, that, that is what happened to him. And I give him great yeah. credit because of, of his courage. So I agree with you. 10% sounds like an operative figure of Christians who are awake to the threat of the left. Why are 90% not? Because it's too frightening for them, Dennis. To be honest, people want to believe that the threats they see out there from wokeness, from you know, uh, critical race theory from transgenderism and the rest is a passing fad and that they don't have to do anything about it. Just sit tight and wait and this too shall pass. But it's not going to happen. And uh, I was warned when I went to uh, Central Europe, Eastern Europe, to interview for this book uh, people who had been dissidents under communism. They told me, you shouldn't expect that most of the Christians in our countries stood up to the communists. Everybody conformed because it was easy to conform. Keep your head down, don't say anything. These people stood up, and they, they weren't, it wasn't only Christians who stood up. There were Jews, there were secularists, who, uh, some of whom were on the left, but they did not want to live with totalitarianism. I am, I am astoundedly happy for you at the sales of your book, given the mainstream media ignoring it, but it doesn't even matter. Mainstream media are relevant to uh, many of our books. Uh, now, uh, my, my last they, one. They my... really are, Dennis. Go on, go Can on. Can I tell you, you'll, I think you'll find this hopeful when you're at a, at a party, a garden party in Budapest with a bunch of conservative writers and intellectuals, and I, I had to excuse myself to tell them I was going to do an interview with Dennis Prager eyes lit up all around the room. They said, we love him. We listen to him. And what they were telling you, Dennis, is that they listen to you because they know that what happens in America first will ultimately come here to Hungary. And they need to know how to be prepared for it. I found that really wonderful. I wanted to pass that on to you because the work that people like you, people like I do confronting these things, they make a big difference overseas. Well, I'm, I'm very, I'm very touched by your story, um, and uh, I look forward to being there. By the way, in light of that, are you going to be there when I'm there? Beginning of August, second week of August. I, I, I might stay. I, I might stay to see you. I'm planning to go to Italy after my fellowship ends on July 31st. But if I can stay and see you, I'll do it. We've never met. Well, between me and Italy, I would do Italy. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I I have met so many good people here who are fighting the good fight. That's right. Who need That's the right. encouragement that we can give them. Uh, I, I spoke, exactly. Them. I spoke in Romania two years ago, and it's exactly what I felt. And by the way, I like your reaction. I said to them, and it was clear that they had not heard this often, if ever, Western Europe will not save the West. Eastern Europe will. I said that to them. Yeah. You know, I, I went on Polish television today and said exactly the same thing. That's I, I'm serious. I 
I've been over here for about six or seven weeks, and they've got lots of problems over here. But they, maybe because they have uh, the memory, the cultural memory of communism, they understand what they're facing, and they're willing to make this last stand. But I was just talking to this young man here. He's a defense correspondent for a magazine, and he said, uh, oh, you're from America. i got to tell you how much it hurts me to see what's happened to America. America's destroying itself. We look to America for help and for hope for so long, and now it's just unbelievable what's happening. And I told him, like, look, not all of us are down with this. We're mounting a resistance, and we need your help, too. And that's what I, I did with this book, Dennis. I wanted the testimonies of people who dealt with communism, who fought communism, and who successfully resisted it, to give us advice and to give us hope that we can resist successfully this scourge that has come upon us. That's right. That's what we have to do. On my fireside chat, a weekly podcast, a video cast that I have for PragerU, I had a, a pastor on uh, last week who stayed open during uh, the uh, the lockdowns in California. And uh, you have to pinch yourself to even say those words. You, you, your church couldn't be opened. Was it, nobody was being forced to go. But your church was not allowed to be open because of a virus? And uh, my conclusion is very much, I think, in keeping with yours, and if it's not, please feel free to say so, but if, if people are not prepared to resist draconian laws over a virus, they're certainly not going to be prepared to do it if there is a KGB or a Gestapo. No, they, they won't. And this is I, one of the big lessons that I try to tell in my book, that we have got to be prepared to suffer. This is the most important lesson I learned from interviewing dissidents, that uh, the, this new totalitarianism that we're dealing with, it is based on comfort. They're not trying, like the KGB, to, to force us to conform by, uh, by wielding terror and pain against us. Rather, they try to take away our pleasures and our access to consumer comforts and professional success and all that. If we are not prepared to suffer for the truth, including the truth of our faith, then we're not going to make it. It's as simple as that. And uh, this it really puts into perspective, Dennis, the, the way that American religion, Christianity, Judaism, all religions, has been for the past 50 years. It's been about bourgeois comfort. And that's the sort of thing that is going to get us wiped out. If we can't learn how to suffer for our faith, as these dissidents did, then we're done for. Well, I, I, I happen to agree with you. I have been begging people whatever their religion or no religion, to come out of the closet. But what did you say earlier? People learned under communism, just as under fascism, to lay low. Let it pass. That's not the lesson, certainly not the lesson a religious person should draw. Live Not By Lies is the book. Rod Dreher is the author. We will return Ultimate Issues Hour, 1-8 Prager, 776. The Dennis Prager Show. This is the Ultimate Issues Hour, the third hour every Tuesday. 
the writer, author, thinker, Rod Dreher, D-R-E-H-E-R, best-selling author even prior to this book, senior editor of the American conservative Live Not by Lies, a manual for Christian dissidents. So a, the, the question arises, why specifically Christian dissidents and not just a, uh, a manual for dissidents? Hmm. Well, uh, I'm primarily known, I think, as a Christian writer. I was writing to my own people, but I, I've realized now that the book has become so popular among non-Christians who are also dissidents that I probably should have widened my scope. But um, the reason I focused on Christianity was because I wanted to talk to people who based their dissidence in God, in their faith in God, because uh, whether you were a believer or not, you had to believe in something transcendent. You had to believe that there was ultimate meaning in the universe, or the communists were going to crush you. And uh, Václav Havel was a non-believer who did believe at least in universal values, and that gave him the power to resist torture and to keep, uh, keep up his dissidence. But most of these people I talked to, Dennis, were ordinary believers who believed that, uh, that by standing in truth and being willing to suffer for the truth, that God was going to bless them in a particular way. I, I talked to, about this one man in the book, uh, Dr. Sylvester Kirchmeri. He died uh, about 1996, I think it was. But uh, he, he was a young physician, a Catholic physician, who was thrown in prison for his faith and for working with the underground church in 1952 during the Stalinist period in Czechoslovakia. And he said that when he went into prison, he had to make a res- resolution there at the beginning that he was never, ever going to feel sorry for himself, that he was going to consecrate all his sufferings to God and to see himself as God's probe and to learn what he could from his suffering there about himself and and repenting himself of his own sins and learning how to love and help others who were suffering. And uh, that is something so, so powerful. This came out of his Christian faith. He suffered for 10 years in that prison, and as soon as he got out, he began to spread the good news in his country. And I think that, uh, and I I know, I don't think I know, because I've talked to these people, that their faith in God and the ultimate goodness of God, and that God would see their sacrifice and reward them for it, maybe not in this life, but at least in the next, that's what got them through. That's big. That's really big. I I resonate to every word you said. I, I... I've put it a number of times. You either fear God or fear Twitter. <laughs> That's true. And uh, this, I remember talking to this one Polish professor who said that, describing our situation today, he said, mankind is like a kite flying high in the sky. As long as we're connected by a strong stream to the earth, we can soar very high. But you cut the string and we collapse and fall to the ground. That string is our faith in God and our confidence in God's ultimate love for us and ultimate judgment on us, and that all of our acts, our acts of cowardice, our acts of courage, will be judged. And uh, this is look, this is a time right now, we, we often think about the times of the past when there was like, the Nazi years, the communist years, where the, the line between good and evil was very clear. We live in a blurrier time now, but this is a time when saints are going to be made. There was this one Slovak priest who said that uh, under communism, it was easier in one sense, because 
Uh, the light of the gospel shone through the darkness of communism very clearly, but now the light hits this wokeness and critical social justice, and it just strikes fog. That's calling on us to be more discerning and more thoughtful, but it still is a time when all of us are called to moral heroism. Yep, you're uh, speaking to a, a kindred spirit here. You're a Catholic, correct? And no, I'm Eastern Orthodox. I'm sorry? I'm Eastern Orthodox. But oh, you're Eastern I, Orthodox. Uh, How interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, I'm a convert. Yeah, I'm a convert, but I've written this book for all people. Right, for all Christians. Uh, because I, yeah, well, all Christians, but I, and I would, I would welcome Jewish readers, and I've even gotten some emails from Muslim readers who feel oppressed by this militant secularism, and who say they feel like they're a kindred spirit with me. Well, I, look, I welcome that. I didn't expect that, but I welcome it. No, no, there's every reason for you to have expected it. Look, I'm a Jew, and I'm, I'm delighted by your book. It's That's why I said dissidents. I am asked more than any other single question, or have been for the last couple of years at speeches, am I an optimist or a pessimist? Or am I optimistic or pessimistic? And uh, I think you'll find my response interesting. I find both pessimism and optimism useless. Uh, pessimism leads to no action, and optimism leads to no action. If you're a pessimist, things are going to be lousy. Why, why bother? If you're an optimist, things will be great. Why bother? So both of them offer people excuses not to fight. And I, I never ask if I'm optimistic or pessimistic because the answer is of irrelevance to me. I ask, what do I have to do? That's the only relevant question. Any reactions? Yeah, that's extremely wise. I, my answer is slightly different from that. If, you, if it means, if by pessimism you mean do you think things are going to get worse before they get better, then I'm pessimistic. But actually... I'm hopeful, and Christian hope is different from optimism. Optimists think things are always going to get better. I think that's unrealistic. But as a Christian, I believe that even if things get worse, as long as we offer our suffering to God and we suffer uh, for righteousness and for truth and suffer in love, then God will take our sacrifice and use it for the redemption of the world. That's the difference between optimism and hope. Optimism is very fragile. Hope is something very deep, and hope is something that I discovered in talking to these people, some of whom suffered torture in the gulag for their faith and for standing up for the truth. One thing I wanted to say, Dennis, before we, we enter the uh, show today is that a lot of people think that resistance is only political. And I don't think that even the most important resistance is political. We certainly need to be political to defend our liberties as long as we can. But the most important resistance, I believe, is cultural. I talked to a man here in Budapest who told me that he's strongly anti-communist, but he said in the 30 years since communism fell, Hungarians have lost more of their sense of who they are in terms of their faith and their national culture than they did under communism. This happened under capitalist democracy. If we're going to fight this fight, we're going to have to remind ourselves and our children who we are. We're going to have to immerse them deeply in the Bible and in the history and the literature and the art of our civilization. I asked a woman in Prague, uh, Camilla Benda. 
She was the mother of a, of a large brood of children. Her husband was sent to prison for fighting the communist government. I asked her what she did to prepare her family to resist. She said she read to them two hours every night, even when she was trying to raise them alone. I said, what did you read? She said, I read them myths, I read them literature, I read them the classics, and I read them Tolkien. Tolkien? Why Tolkien? I asked. And she said, because we knew that Mordor was real. And, man, that is, that's heavy stuff. And we have to do this for our children, too, to give them a sense that they are engaged in a great battle right now and that it involves them. It's not just something out there. It's not just something they can vote away. It involves all of our lives, our hearts, our minds, and our souls. My son, my older son, when he was about eight or, or, or younger, maybe, but anyway, about that age, and he was walking around the house with a broomstick, and he kept the shooting, and I didn't say anything. And then finally, I just said, well, David, what are you shooting? He said, monsters. And he said, Daddy, are monsters real? And I remember the speed of my thought. And it was essentially this. Do I comfort him in the short period and say monsters are not real? Or do I tell him the truth? Monsters are real. And I told him the truth. Monsters are real. And interestingly, he then stopped shooting them. For whatever reason, it, it, it actually comforted him that he wasn't making this stuff up and living in a, in a fake world. So, mm-hmm. but in any event, monsters are real. That's, that's the point you're making uh, about that woman in the raising of her children and Mordor. So, yeah. yeah. Monsters are real. And the fact that we in the West, we Americans, are, find it so difficult to see as totalitarianism what's happening all around us, it's our fault. It's, we are not seeing the monsters that are right in front of us. These immigrants who came to our country from the Soviet bloc, and in fact, I've been talking to some people who've come from China who say that the, this thing that's emerging in America now, it is totalitarian. We have got to wake up while we can. These people are the canaries in the coal mine. And I would say to your listeners, if you know anybody who grew up under communism, sit them down and ask them about what they're seeing now. You'll be shocked by what you hear. That is exactly right. I, uh, by the way, for, for you'll find this of interest. I know Hungary pre- pretty well. I mean, I'm not an expert, but I know it pretty well. I was, I was there uh, twice under communism, and three or four times since that. And something you said resonated, and I think I can explain it a, uh, to a certain degree. It seems that the Hungarians were a little happier in the communist period because they developed under Janos Kadar what they called goulash communism. Of all the East European countries, the Hungarians had it best, for whatever reason. And then with the collapse of communism, they, they had so figured out how to deal with communism, then they didn't know how to deal with post-communism. And a certain depression seemed to have descended on the country. 
I have said to my listeners, and I have said this before I ever broadcast, which was 35 years ago, uh, because I studied the left I, amazingly, my field of study, I say amazingly because almost nobody studied it, was communist affairs at Columbia. That's why I learned Russian, why I spent so much time in communist countries. I never thought it would prepare me for America. Never. It never occurred to me. But I did say, therefore, from my earliest speaking, all leftism is totalitarian, not liberals, but leftists. There is no non-totalitarian left. Are you with me, Rod Dreher? Oh, I am, Dennis. Yeah, I was thinking about you, what you had said earlier about what the Hungarians said to uh-huh. you about going, wanting to go back to communism. And I, I understand that because freedom is difficult. To be right. fully human is to be free. Right. To be free is really hard. We know from the story in, in Exodus that when the Hebrews were delivered from slavery in Egypt, they got into the desert, and some of them wanted to go back to be slaves That's because right. it was easier. And uh, I, I think, though, that we're seeing the, this, the version of that play out today uh, in what a Hungarian friend of mine told me, a young woman. She was my translator when I was here two years ago in Hungary doing interviews for Live Not By Lies. She told me that she's a young Catholic mom, uh, married five years, one small child. She said, I can't talk to my friends about the struggles I have in my marriage or with my child, because as soon as I say I have struggles, they say, leave your husband, put your child in daycare, go back to work. You've got to live your best life. You've got to live your truth. She said, I tell them, you know, I am living my truth. I'm, I'm happy being married. I'm happy having a child, but it's difficult. Life is, is hard. And I told her, sounds like you're fighting for your right to be unhappy. She said, that's exactly it. Where did you get that? Well, it comes from Brave New World, all the sexist Brave New World. Mm. This is how that totalitarianism controlled people, by making them afraid to be unhappy. That's right. And that's well the totalitarianism we're facing. All right, let's meet in Budapest. And uh, my friends, the book is now self-recommending. What a terrific hour. Live Not By Lies, a manual for Christian dissidents, Rod Dreher. I'm Dennis Prager. 